Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. I've been doing recordings for other stations that include the Epistle of Paul to the Romans, and I'm almost finished with Paul, so I thought I would do one of the last shows on this station exclusively and uh, share with you some of what Paul was trying to say in Romans when he was writing to the Romans and I explained at the beginning of that series that Paul was writing actually to a lot of his own relatives who were in Rome and they were relatives uh, a half brother and his son and his wife and his which also they had children and that would be his nieces and evidently a sister is mentioned in one of his epistles also, and Paul is has a intimate knowledge with these people. He knows them. They know him. He had been this Pharisee of Pharisees. He had been a lawyer. He had been uh, fighting against Christianity at first and then became this convert to Christianity. And his whole life turned around and changed. And now he's writing... The Romans, who are being required to circumcise uh, in the minds of other Jews who were in Rome. But the Jews in Rome had been expelled. And so, really, the predominant number of Christians that were still left behind were those Christians who did not have the Jewish heritage that came down through sects of Judaism like the Pharisees. And so... One of the questions that was brought up at the beginning was, do you need to get circumcised? Do you need to follow these rituals that were so strict within Judaism with some of the Jewish sects? Uh, there were lots of different groups in Judaism, and some of them varied quite a bit. I mean, they almost didn't seem to have anything in common except for they all read the Torah. We've talked before how the Essenes read the Torah, and the Pharisees read the Torah, and even some of the Sadducees would be found reading the Torah. But they all had completely different interpretations. Well, what was wrong with the Torah? Wasn't it clear? Well, actually, it was just as clear as the New Testament is, (laughs) to some degree. Although there was a lot more plain with the language, because it's a much more metaphoric language uh, Hebrew, and we we talk about that in many of the recordings, and all these are available on uh, right now on preparingyou. dot com. That's preparingyou. dot com, and uh, we we have a few more to put up there on this Romans, as well as we've done Ephesians and Colossians, and we will make them available on on hisholychurch. dot org as well, along with a PDF that goes through the whole study. But uh, we have uh, ended our 15th session, which was actually 18 hours on on Romans, because we had to spend a couple extra hours on Romans 13 in the book Higher Liberty. 
And so now we're beginning the 16th session, the, the 19th hour, and uh, we're looking at what did Paul really say. He said the, the laws and rules of men and their religions are nothing but, uh, in other words, he says they're nothing. You know, circumcision is nothing. Righteousness was everything. But if you sign up for these religious groups, these systems of religion, and some of them are very binding, then you should keep those rules. You should make your yeses yes and your noes noes. That's completely in accordance with what Christ said. When Christ said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, you have to understand that much of what was Caesar's was because people were signing up. They were registering. They were becoming a part of the system of Corbin offered by Caesar. And, of course, he's writing the Romans here. But the same type of system was set up by Herod early on, before Christ was even born. He was setting up a system of Corbin that made the word of God did not affect. And it was a system that was, Corbin means sacrifice. It was a system that required sacrifice of the people, for the people, and by the people, but by the dictates of government. And therefore their Sanhedrin, working like a Congress, was telling them how much they had to give in. And they were collecting it with armed men occasionally, but most people just gave it because they didn't want to get into trouble. And in order to maintain that social insurance, you had to pay in what they required. They actually were going out and pacing off fields and estimating the amount of grain that would be produced on that field because they were imposing how much you would have to pay into the temple. And once you understand that, all these things, these altars set up by Abraham and Moses were all part of the social welfare system. Uh, the uh, altars of clay, that's you. You're the Adama. That's what the, the word they use for clay is Adama, the sons of Adam. You're the altars of clay. And the altars of stone were men you trusted, friends, people you trusted to manage this system of social welfare for your society. And those were the stones of the altar in the Old Testament. And they actually piled up stones to demonstrate that. But they didn't hew those stones. They didn't regulate those stones. You regulated because you tied to them according to their service. So this is all free will offering. You see it over and over again in the Bible. Free will offering, free will offering, free will offering. Until they finally had a king who forced an offering and was called foolish by Samuel for doing it. So you see this whole trend of society, either you're going to operate by the perfect law of liberty and faith, hope, and charity, or you're not. The Romans understood that. The Romans he was writing understood that. Christians today don't understand that because nobody's really preaching the wholeness of the gospel. They've watered it down and twisted it so that you don't understand that. Now, I'm talking about that a great deal, but this spirit, of forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare that has become so pervasive and so common that Christians think they're saved and they think they believe in Jesus and they're still participating in such systems. They're still actually 
applying, which is the same word as praying to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, knowing full well that those benefactors will give you nothing except that what they take away from your neighbor. And since all the nations of the world are in debt, completely in debt, and all their social welfare systems are bankrupt because they're operating in the red, and there is no earmarking of funds allowed in in the United States Constitution. Really, I don't know of any country that allows you to really earmark funds. So if the government is bankrupt, your Social Security is bankrupt, period. That's it. That's That's ruled over and over again by the Supreme Court of the United States. And it's the same thing if you went to Australia, uh, specifically actually in Australia, because they have a very unique situation, which I was just reading about yesterday, uh, because of their their equivalent to a federal government. You know, you can do things in the different provinces that won't work in other provinces. <laughs> At least in the United States, if for instance, if you're married in the United States in one of the states, the other states have to recognize that marriage. Um, that isn't the case all the time in certain situations within Australia. So there, there's a peculiar division of autonomy. But there is no separation. There's no earmarking of funds. So if Australia is bankrupt and operating in the red, then they have nothing to give you in your social welfare. Their treasury is empty. And so they're not going to take away from your neighbor. They will continue to do that. But when you apply for benefits from any of these institutions, you're now taking away from your children. Because they're going to have to pay the debt because you're operating in debt. So this debt is bondage. And this is a principle seen over and over again in the Bible, which is why we were to work six days and then take our rest, not take our rest and then owe six days of labor. We have not kept the Sabbath in spirit or in many cases in truth. Now, a lot of people want to keep the Sabbath now, Saturday, and keep it, you know, according to what they imagine the Old Testament is telling them. And then they say, well, we keep the Sabbath. We're Sabbath keepers. But they're still in debt. And they're still operating in that debt system. Taking their rest and then not only having to pay for it in the future, but now they even want their children to pay for it. In many cases, because the debt has grown so great, even their grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be paying the debt. So they haven't kept the Sabbath, but they've kept the form. And this is what Paul is writing about when he says the law is done away with. The form is done away with, but righteousness is not done away with. You manifest righteousness, although you may not keep the form. And he was talking specifically about some of the forms that were imposed upon members of a religious society by the priests of that society saying, oh, you have to get this and you have to get... You, you go to the Old Testament, we talk about it in the other chapters where they're mentioning it, is they were talking way back in Deuteronomy about circumcision of the heart. The circumcision of the flesh was an outward manifestation of the circumcision of the heart. If there is no circumcision of the heart, the outward manifestation of circumcision is just pain. <laughs> That's it. It doesn't do you any good. 
That's why if you, and the same is true of the Sabbath. If you're still operating in debt, then it doesn't matter what day you take off on the uh, on the weekend, Saturday or Sunday. It's not going to make any difference. It's nothing. Because you're still not working and earning your day of rest. You, you're not following the precept or principle. You're following the form. The Pharisees were big on following the form. But Christ scolded them right off. And this was one of the major conflicts between them. Is they they all white on the outside, you know, but they were full of dead men's bone because they weren't operating in righteousness. They were they were focusing and worshiping form rather than the God of righteousness. Therefore, they did not produce righteousness. They produced unrighteousness, and they produced a system of Corbin that made the word of God did not affect. And they thought it was great. Modern Christians have done the same exact thing in every country. They have created modern systems of Corbin, social welfare, that make the word of God the none effect, that are a trap and a snare. If you go back to the bondage of Egypt, the bondage of Egypt, what was it? You had to pay in a sacrifice, a, an offering into the civil altars of the state, and they took care of you in time of need. Everybody had to pay in equally, 20%. And they took care of you. Everybody's trying to, you know, they see the tax system is out of control and the country's bankrupt and they're saying, oh, we got to go to a flat tax. Like, that's going to make a difference. No, you have to start seeking righteousness in the kingdom of God. All these systems will fail. They are the unrighteous mammon. You have trusted in a system of Corbin that makes the word of God the none effect. It's based on coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. That simple. The Romans who were becoming Christians understood that. The relatives of, of Paul, his half-brother, and his half-brother's son, and, and uh, his wife, Gladys, who we know as Claudia, were doing that already. I mean, she she was the epitome of the woman you see on the cover of our free church report, who is Lady Godiva. I, I always tell the story about, oh, I was in a room full of pastors, and I was telling them about different books. We, I think I spoke like 12 hours there <laughs> to them, uh, and they just kept going on into the night. And uh, But then I had pulled out at one point the free church report, and, and I hadn't showed it to them yet, and I said... Uh, and this book, it's kind of controversial, and it has a picture of Lady Godiva on the front. Of course, everybody knows the story of Lady Godiva supposedly rode through Coventry naked on a horse, uh, based on a bed of her husband to alleviate the, the taxation of the people. But that's, that never happened. That's a story made up by a monk who's spent way too much time alone over a hundred years after their death. And if you actually knew who her husband was, it's, it's her second husband. Her first husband had died. And she's actually mentioned in the Doomsday Book. And she, she, she was a remarkable, remarkable woman. And her husband was really an exceptional individual. But uh, 
you know, every Christian should really understand. She's actually considered a saint uh, by some churches because of her philanthropic building of schools and hospitals and everything else. She's considered the patron saint of architects because of all the building that she did. Well, how did she do all this building? She stripped herself of her wealth. She gave up her wealth, not her clothes. So anyway, I, I, I tell them a picture of Lady Godiva on the front, and I slowly turn around the book. And, of course, everybody, the only pictures you see of Lady Godiva are naked pictures, which are never happened, but everybody's titillated by that. And so you, you see all these pastors covering their eyes, you know, like, oh, I don't want to see this, you know, kind of thing. But she's completely dressed on the book cover. But you can go, you can read the whole book on the net. But the point is, is that... Uh, you know, Gladys, who we know as Claudia, was very similar in character. And they were philanthropic. They were actually, uh, her husband was building, and there's still stones etched with his name on it, building philanthropic charitable institutions in Great Britain. Before Christ, they were doing that. Because they were moving from the, there was a tendency for several hundred years of the charitable institutions of Rome to be financed out of the private sector and into the public sector. In other words, through government taxation. And that leads to destruction of a society. And some men were realizing this. And they realized that's what Christ was talking about. And that's what John the Baptist was talking about. Share amongst yourself. But that's not what Herod was teaching. That's not what the Pharisees were saying was okay. They were doing something else. And it's not what the modern churches say. The modern church is saying, yeah, now if you need anything, go to the men who exercise authority. They'll take from your neighbor and provide you with benefits. The Christian Roman people that Paul was writing to were not doing that. They were taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity because they had repented. When you read in Acts 3.19, Repent ye therefore and be converted. That means turn around, that word. Repent even means turn around. That your sin may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This is what they're talking about. Repent from coveting your neighbor's goods. He never did away with the law. Paul makes it very clear that that God's law is found in righteousness, which is expressed in his commandments, those ten commandments. And, And even the word commandments doesn't mean law. It really means guideposts. If you find yourself murdering people, you're probably not being righteous. If you find yourself in an inquisition, murdering people, you're probably not the church established by Jesus Christ. If you find yourself invading other countries in crusades and slaughtering people by the thousands, you know, the inquisition slaughtered people by the millions. I don't know how many people died in the the crusades. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands died in the crusades. And the misery that it brought. You're probably not the church established by Jesus Christ. Because you're not keeping the commandments. 
you're not listening to Paul. Because Paul lists the commandments that you should be keeping. And that if any are not keeping those commandments, including thou shalt not covet, you shouldn't have anything to do with them. But modern Christians covet all the time through the agency of the governments they institute and sign up with and contract with and covenant with and give power to so that they will take from their neighbor to provide them with social welfare. None of the early church did that. Even in America, that's what the early church was, was the social welfare of the people. If you had a need, you went to church. Not anymore. You go to church, they send you to the men who exercise authority, who just call themselves benefactors. There is no indulgence offered to you by the blood of Jesus Christ that allows you to violate the Ten Commandments and the righteousness of God and still go to heaven. That is ridiculous. I will tell you, surely you will die if you think that you can violate the Ten Commandments as a matter of policy and still be acceptable in the eyes of Christ. You can't. You can't. Your unrepentant and unforgiving hearts must change. And it must change not only in your relationship with governments that exercise authority, but at least that aspect of government that does that. But it must change in relationship to everybody else. What you're seeing in the world, this exercising authority through the agency of armed men, where you are not content with your wages, that you want to take from your neighbor to provide you with social benefits, is a symptom of the fact that you do not love your neighbor as yourself. You covet. You you want to see him deprived so that you can have enough. The What Christ was preaching was the absolute reverse of that. You wanted to give up for others. Give your life for others. Knowing, yes, that you will have life more abundant, but through spiritual blessings that will manipulate the physical world because you realize the physical world is driven by the spiritual presence in us. Well, the spiritual presence in most people is a covetous spirit, a murderous spirit, a licentious spirit, a greedy spirit, greedy for gain, wanting to have one purse, a fearful spirit, an angry, judgmental spirit, We've said many times that if you are judgmental and angry in that judgmental state, in in that sense of using the word judgmental, these words have multiple definitions, but judgmental as in putting down other people. Because, oh, they don't keep the form that you keep. You keep the special form that you have devised out of reading the Holy Scriptures. And so, therefore, you are good because you keep the special form that is righteous. But you don't keep righteousness. That's kind of an inconvenience. You are a hypocrite. You are judgmental. And you will be afraid. Because that 
that contempt you have in you for others is the seed of fear. It is the root crop of fear. The root stock of fear. And fear will come. So we need to repent. And we will, we will continue with uh, chapter 15 after the break. But we need to repent and be converted in our hearts and our minds. People will always, they always love to look at the problems of everybody else and not their own. And this is why their relationships with husbands and wives fail, why their children disrespect them, because they are not looking into the depths of their own heart, the, the dark places in their own being. And so when I talk about these spiritual issues and the manifestation of the spiritual issue in the society which you have created for yourself, I am not I am not taking away in any way the responsibility that you have of looking deep into your own heart and seeing how you have become instrument of the problem itself. You need to change. You need to actually repent. You need to turn around. And we're going to talk about how to do that and chapter 15 of Romans when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in that chapter 15 of Romans, and it begins with verse 1. We then, that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Christ didn't come to please himself. He came to sacrifice himself. And so if Christ is in us, we should see the manifestation of that personal sacrifice of self for others. Most people that have problems with relationships, they have those problems because they're not willing to sacrifice their own pride, much less themselves. As vanity is a terrible scale upon our eyes. And one of the things that we're often vain about is our religious beliefs. We have clung to them. And what uh, I've equated many of our religious beliefs and ideologies, especially when we're talking about forms, you know, the rituals and and rites of our religious beliefs, that uh, these are equated to a wreckage of a ship that could not, withstand the storm because they are they are not of the spirit they are of the flesh we often focus on the form rather than the spirit because you can't see the spirit it it requires faith to see the spirit and act according to the spirit and the form you you can grab that and you can hold on to that and you can wear your clothes or put on your beard or your straw hat or your suspenders or or you know the other rituals that you perform that you say oh well we have this calendar oh we have this uh we keep the sabbath oh we have this diet uh that's another thing all these things and there's nothing wrong with those things you can have all those things it doesn't mean anything one way or the other about who you are in relationship to God. You may make it that way. And 
I have equated that with the woman who believed that if she touched the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, she would be healed. She believed that. And she acted upon that image in her mind that she believed in. But somewhere inside her, she had real faith. If she had believed that if I just lay eyes, if I just travel over there and lay eyes on Jesus Christ, if I just hear his voice, I would be healed. She would have been healed too. And so, some people want to say, oh, well, I'm not going to eat pork, or I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a vegetarian, or, you know, whatever it is. And if they do that out of pure faith, even though the form means nothing. It may have an effect. And so therefore, we should bear with these people and not break down their faith. But by the same token, we must know that real faith is in the spirit that is unseen. And the manifestation of that spirit that we believe in will create the society around us and the realm around us that will be of Christ. And what's happened is that we have paid so much attention to form. You know, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, I'm a Catholic, I'm a whatever. That what we've created around us is the exact opposite of what God had in mind. We have created Egypt. We have created Babylon. Babylon loves form. And rituals. And, and, you know, of course we equate, oh, well, they have graven images, they have statues. Graven images, anything you make, any institution you make. So anyway, some people are, are not yet willing to walk in faith alone. They can't walk on the water. I mean, if Peter was condemning the other apostles who didn't step out of the boat, he would have sunk even faster. So we must bear the infirmities and the weaknesses of others, but keep our eyes on the righteousness of God. And let his commandments guide us. Am I doing that? I must not be seeing the ways of God. And question yourselves be more, but more than you question your neighbors. Everybody's, you know, that's the whole pointing out the beam or the speck in somebody else's eye, and you haven't even looked at the fact that you've got a beam. You know, I, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I mean, husbands and wives. Uh, he, he did this, oh, she, but she's like this, and and but he did that, and nobody's talking about themselves. It says, goes on in verse two. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. In other words, we're not just supposed to make them happy. A bunch of back patters. But please that neighbor. And and the word here is actually uh, strive. Elevate. Lift up. Raise up our neighbor. Not just make him happy. Make him feel good about his iniquity. But... Make him aware so that he becomes edified. Not go around condemning. 
And the best way to do that is to be a manifestation of Christ yourself in service to others. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, he reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Fell on him. He carried that burden. We should be doing that self. Several times I've had husband and wives counseling, you know, they're, they're moving in the direction of divorce. One of them is in the, and the other one is trying to stop it and I, I, and they're using the courts vindictively and I say, you know, you need to be willing to be crucified and remain righteous. And time and time again, the husbands are not willing to be crucified. They fear. They don't have faith. And of course, that's why their marriage is breaking up anyway. And, and, you know, I, I deal with men who, and women, who have had multiple marriages, multiple unions with, you know, other people. And they keep making the same mistake and they say, oh, well, now this time, um, my other wife, and I'm going to use this facetiously, uh, she always wore yellow. So I now I won't even go out with a woman who wears yellow. I'm looking for somebody who only wears blue. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the problem. You have to do with the problem. Your society is in the state that it's in because of the fact that we are doing this on every level of our relationships with in marriage, relationships with children, relationship with parents, relationships with neighbors. We are not being the kingdom of God. We are not being like Christ. We are not being what John the Baptist said. We don't take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Can we just do that much? It will be a life-changing experience. For whatsoever thing were written aforetime, were written for our learning and we, through patience and, and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant to you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That means love thy neighbor as thyself. Like-minded with Christ, come to sacrifice like Christ came to sacrifice. Not to make the slothful more slothful, but to edification. This is why you have congregations. Not for what you can get out of the congregation, but what you can bring to it. Ask not what the kingdom can do for you, but ask rather what you can do for the kingdom. That ye may be with one mind... And one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're praising God in your churches, but not caring for the needy in your churches, then your praise is words only. It's not true. Your love for one another is not real. And thieves and robbers will come in and rob you and seduce you into a common purse. And that's already done. And you have to be willing to see that you have gone astray in order to stick your head up long enough to find your way back. Wherefore, receive ye one another. Gather together. As Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now, I say that Jesus Christ was minister of the circumcision of 
truth of God to confirm the promise made unto the Father. And that Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, For this cause I will confess to thee among Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. And loud him, all ye people. And he quotes in verse 12, And again Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. There's Paul quoting the Old Testament again. This this has always been the same message. It didn't change. There wasn't one message for the Old Testament and a new message in the New. They are both witnesses of the same message of righteousness of God, of loving one another. Isaiah 11.10 is what Paul was talking about. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people and shall, okay, stand for an ensign of the people. If you don't change, if you are not converted, Christ does you no good. He hasn't saved you. You must be converted. You must turn around. You must repent. You must forgive. Forgive those that you think owe you and learn to live by faith. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Here we are in the third time to recover the remnant of the people. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Hope is not does not have anything to do with entitlements. And neither should you. You need to come together. You can do this better in love of Christ than the world thinks they can do it in the force of Cain. But you have to come together for the purpose of service. And you have to bear the weakness, the infirmities of others until they learn also. But you bear them in a way that you hope to strengthen them. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye do all also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to ad- admonish one another. In other words, we should say, well, why aren't we taking care of the needy in our congregations and congregations of congregations? Why aren't we forming a FEMA, a Faith Emergency Ministry Auxiliary to every congregation of congregations. Why aren't we coming together? Because we don't really love one another. We love the idea that we're saved. He says in verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Paul was not bringing a new gospel. This is the gospel of God that was brought to Moses and brought to Abraham and brought to the prophets. 
He was building living altars just like Moses, just like Abraham was building, to take care of the needy of society because in order for you to do that, you must change. If you cannot do that, you have not yet changed. You have not yet been converted. If you are not doing that, you have not been converted. If you're not striving daily to do that, you have not been converted. You have not accepted Christ. The Spirit of Christ does not dwell in you. And you are under a strong delusion. And if you would start doing that and continue in that, striving in that, as Christ said to do, then your relationships with husbands and wives and children might become better. And it's actually a left foot, right foot thing. It will, you will see a progression. Because as soon as you learn one lesson, God provides you with the opportunity of learning lesson two. <laughs> and lesson three. And lesson four. We need to be acceptable. Being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. By that spirit of righteousness. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient or by word and deed. Obedient in what? In righteousness, not in form. He's not going to impose the form on you so that you can get as lost as the Pharisees were lost in form. As lost as the modern Christians are lost in form. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto, uh, he, he mentions Ila. Rickham in, in this translation, which is a, a region lying between Italy and Germany and kind of Macedonia and, and Thrice, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So anyway, he's doing this in other places, and, and we'll see this in Corinthians, that he's actually, and there's evidence actually recently come out, I mean recently in the last 20 years, historical evidence that the treasurer of Corinth actually began to change the way in which they filled their treasury by faith, hope, and charity. And and to some degree, that's what Constantine was doing, but it was because they were so bankrupt. They were saying, okay, we all have to become Christians. You have to live by faith, hope, and charity. It was just his way of opting out of having to take care of the needy of the people because they were so bankrupt. And and you're going to face that bankruptcy too. I mean, it's already taken place, but you're still operating more and more in debt, going more and more in debt to provide the benefits that you you absolutely love and worship. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. But I'm not saying that Constantine's Christianity was right because they didn't really repent. He still was, now what he was doing is supporting his brand of Christianity with tax dollars and spoils of war. And the church should not be doing that. The church needs to be doing that from the grassroots up, the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And Constantine was not operating that way. 
you know, the whole city of Milan is electing one bishop who they dragged out of a brothel because he didn't want to be a Christian bishop. He didn't even know anything about Christianity. And it's, it's absolutely clear from his first writings in his speech before the Senate. But yet he's considered a saint by some churches. I won't mention his name, but those of you who've read the book, Thy Kingdom Come, you'll know who I'm talking about. And there's lots of such men who brought in the damnable heresies that have brought Christianity to the place of Babylon that it has become. The religion of Babylon that it has become. Steeped in ritual. Beware of the ritual. Your ritual is righteousness. That is the only ritual you should be seeking. But if you have others that you think are keeping you afloat, but do not cling to the wreckage that keeps you from learning to walk in the Spirit. Grab the hand of Christ, not the wreckage. Learn to walk in the ways of Christ. Yea, so... Have I strived to preach the gospel? Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Because many of you have not heard the wholeness of the gospel. That's why you're... Your faith and your religions and your families and your countries are in the state that it's in. Because the very basic fundamentals, you, you, your neighbor has no coat, you share. You don't force other neighbors to give up their coat. You share. Respond, you want your rights back? Take back your responsibilities. To love your neighbor as yourself. In a way that edifies your neighbor and strengthens your neighbor. He's starving. Teach him to fish. This is what your congregation should be doing. You need to come together to do that because you're not very good at that. And you need somebody to practice with. So gather together for that reason. To practice the ways of Christ. And see where you fall short. But now, having no more place in their parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, which was at that time, you know, everything south of the Pyrenees, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and be brought on my way, thitherward, by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. In other words, it's, it's kind of a mutual invitation. And then he goes, but now I go into Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. And when they say these words saints, they're not talking about everybody in the church. They're talking about those that have been called out and separate, that had no personal estate that had given up everything in order to be this representative system, and we'll talk about this in other places and already have, that the church was actually divided into two different groups. There was the people who depended upon the free will offerings of each other to take care of the needy of their society and pure religion. And there were the ministers of the church who became foreigners to the Roman government, a foreign religion, by giving up everything, just like the Levites had done, 
I'm amazed at the amount of Jews that don't understand that Levites had no personal estate. They owned all things in common. And the early church, the ministers of the church, they had no personal estate. They gave that all up. Christ said they had to. And they owned all things in common. So what that is, is the church is the corporation of Christ. And it doesn't need any other incorporation. As a matter of fact, if it incorporates in any other way, it loses the corporation of Christ. All other previous corporation, incorporation, is null and void when you incorporate with the state. So the church is the corporation of Christ and takes a special group of men who are willing to completely sacrifice themselves for others. To handle the ministry of faith, hope, and charity in a way that is cast up. Completely by free will offerings. But not to build crystal cathedrals. Not to have uh, private jets. Not to zoom around in luxury cars and have uh, this this comfortable or sitting golden chairs and and uh, golden cathedrals and uh, all this stuff, but to serve the people. And it's up to the people to stop being deluded by all these big screen TVs and orchestras and, and crystal cathedrals and golden temples built by men, which is all vanity, and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Start being the temple of Christ instead of trying to build some physical form that you think is, oh, the great cathedral at whatever. Punk. Start believing in the spiritual cathedral of Christ in your own heart that comes to sacrifice yourself for the edification of others. This is what Paul's talking about. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. He's taking funds to help them out. That's... They're casting their bread upon the waters and creating bonds and relationships to these ministers. But what relationships can you create if you cannot even stay married to the same woman, to the same man? These, the reason your lives are in shambles is because your heart is in shambles. You need to go in there and look at all the evil that was done to you and forgive it so that you may be made free. This is the way of Christ to love one another. To come face to face with your selfishness, your heartlessness, your shortcomings so that they become Christ's way. And we'll talk more about this when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. Till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. 
For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, the things that were in the days to come, and so I should make some announcements about that, is that we have a gathering in Missouri, and there's a lot of people coming there from Texas and New York and Wisconsin and North Dakota and South Dakota, and and I don't remember all the places. As a matter of fact, when we talked about it last week on another uh, study program in between this show... Uh, and the show I do this afternoon. And uh, they were mentioning names of a lot of people, and I don't know any of them. So, anyway, we have that Missouri gathering in the spring. We also have a gathering here in the fall we call the Burning Bush Festival. That's way out here in Oregon. And uh, we really encourage people to come there and meet, and those that are starting to gather together and make congregations, that are actually starting to learn what it means to care about one another are welcome to those groups and gatherings. And they're often involving tent camping, but there's motels nearby and all these other things. So we encourage you to come. And as we build more and more facilities, uh, hopefully we will be able to accommodate more and more people out here. We can accommodate probably 10, 20,000. <laughs> we don't have... Uh, uh, restroom facilities for everybody, but if we had that many people showing up, we'd start making them pretty quick. But uh, we, we're pretty simple. We're not a fancy church. Uh, we're not interested in the building. We're interested in building up the people because the society that you've created for yourselves is collapsing, is falling apart. And you need to be creating that alternative. And they're actually passing laws in many countries. We talked about it before, like Germany that they do not want you to have an alternative society. And they are already willing to make war on real Christianity. And you're going to see more and more of that. But it doesn't matter. Don't fear that. What you have to do is fear that you're not really a Christian now and change your way. So anyway, we're talking about Romans, which is a letter of Paul to the Romans. And we're in session 17 of these, uh, what's going to be 19, 20 hours probably by the time we're done. And we'll make it all available eventually. But uh, in 
chapter 17 or chapter 15 uh, verse 27 it says it hath pleased them verily that their debtors they are for if the gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things you see we often think when we go after this form that the carnal things change the spiritual no, that isn't the way it works. Spiritual things change the carnal. So if you see your society around you in, you know, like economic problems, Christian economics, you say, let's go back to Christian economics. Unless you go back spiritually, it ain't going to happen. It, you, you're, what you're seeing in the world today is a product of the fact that you have abandoned the Spirit of Christ long time ago, you have been deceived and brought under a strong delusion and dragged away from the way of Christ. And what you're seeing breaking down in the world around you, people say, oh, well, it was all prophesied that this was going to happen, but we're all saved because we believe in Jesus. No, you're not. You don't believe in Jesus, and you're not really saved. You're under a strong delusion because you have not repented and been converted. You're still living like the Pharisees, according to the ways of the Pharisees. And I don't want to pick on just Pharisees. You're the heathen, the, the unbelievers. You still believe in the ways of Cain, the ways of Caesar, the ways of Nimrod, and the benefits of Nimrod. Oh, you got your rituals, but you don't have your righteousness, because you're not really taking care of your neighbor through faith, hope, and charity. You don't even take care of the people in your own congregations through faith, hope, and charity. Just say nothing to the red heifer, which is caring for people outside the camp. But anyway, back to verse 28. When, therefore, I have performed this, I have sealed to them this fruit. In other words, he's taking a contribution, as we saw in the previous show. He's taking a contribution to Jerusalem from Macedonia and Achaia. They they made an offering to help out the poor in Jerusalem. Because they were they were undergoing, you know, the bankruptcy of their own society at that time. And they were excluded from the treasuries of the, the Pharisees and they had to have their own treasury, which where do you keep all the money in the treasury of the kingdom of God? In your pockets. That's where you keep most of it. You give some to your minister and that is in a constant flow, like a circulation. There's no central treasury where thieves and robbers can break in and steal it. But the fact is, is now what do you have in your pockets? <laughs> well, now you got Federal Reserve notes. So you don't even have anything of value because on their own website they say Federal Reserve notes have no value. They tell you that. Volker gave a big speech on that. Uh, when he was uh, head of the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve notes have no value. They don't. They're valueless. It's it's a musical money game. Most of what you circulate as money is actual digital entries. They don't they don't even have paper bills to back it up. You know, most most of it is non-existent. Everything they loan, they just make it up. 
Now, they make it up according to certain forms and everything, but that's what's led to the destruction of your society. You were not a society of substance. But the reason your society was not a society of substance is because your society was not based on the spirit. Your eyes were blinded, and you were led down this primrose path to destruction. If I if I taught you how the economy should work and how it has gone wrong and all the details, and we do mention some of that and show you that in the covenants of the gods, but you'll notice in the writing of the covenants of the gods, there's always this verse on how the law works, how economies work, and then the verse uh, that is related to that in the Bible. And, and occasionally we use other philosophers as well to show you that it's not a unique idea. But that's up here in your head. Unless your heart is circumcised, which they talk about way back in Deuteronomy, it's not going to, the knowledge is not going to do you any good. You, you're still going to be led off. And, 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 and I see this all the time amongst the patriot community. They say, oh, we don't want to have anything to do with that government there and everything, but we're going to have a lot to do with this guru over here who's going to lead us to freedom. You need to be led by Christ in your own hearts, but you don't circumcise your heart, so there's no place for him to be in there because you're not doing anything in the ways that he says to do them. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together, to strive together with one. To help one in striving. It doesn't mean fight with one another. There are several words that are translated strive. This one means to come together. And that's why we are forming congregations of record according to the tens, hundreds, and thousands that the church was organized in from the beginning, which we show in the book Thy Kingdom Come, which was not a unique form of government. It was actually the most predominant form of government in free nations around the world for century upon century, which you know nothing about because you went to a public school <laughs> for your education. So he says, strive together with me in your prayers, in your applications to God for me to help me to help the poor in Jerusalem, to help the poor in Macedonia when they have trouble. Paul was carrying funds to help them out that were entrusted to him by a network of ministers in Macedonia who trusted him to take these funds to Jerusalem. I show you in the book Covenants of the Gods that Augustus Caesar said that those funds were sacred and could not be touched by tax people from the beginning. Those laws are still true in America. Now, they will come under contestation during the great persecution that is coming. But the key element is that you need to come together as a true body of believers bound by faith, hope, and charity alone. If you do not do that, then you are not doing what Christ said. And Christ said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who doeth the will of the Father. And that is the will of the Father from the beginning. That you circumcise your heart, you come together and love one another as I have loved you. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted of the saints. 
He knew people were out looking for him, and he was still going back. And that he wanted his service to be acceptable to the saints. And he's doing this because he's not just talking Christianity. He's doing it. When you got the baptism of Jesus Christ instead of the baptism of Herod, most people don't know that Herod was baptizing. Those of you who listen regularly know this by now. But you got the baptism of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. You were cast out, according to John, of the welfare system, of the Corbin of the Pharisees that made the word of God none effect. And on Pentecost, you were forming the network necessary to be the Corbin of Christ. A network of congregations of ten families that cared as much about themselves as they do each other, you know, and then also cared as much about the next congregation as they did their own congregation. And this is how they were able to move funds around through this network and take care of the needs during the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And all these empires, Babylon fell, the Chaldeans fell, Caesar fell, and the modern Caesars will fall. The unrighteous mammon always fail. And the answer is not to not pay Caesar. The answer is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So he's saying that he's got to go around to Jerusalem before he comes to them and then he's also going to go to Spain. There's evidence that Paul went to England. Paul got around. He was able to go around. Of course, he came from a rich family. And he tried not to, you know, they talk about being tent maker. He wasn't sewing them. They're talking, these guys were industrious. They knew what they were doing. There were people sewing and he was providing employment to people within the church. And, And the fact that those of you who have studied the Free Church Report and read the footnotes will understand that the church is one form of government. And that you can work for that form or the form that you are already bound in. You have those choices. They're still available legally in the world. But we don't want people that do not come without the Spirit of Christ coming into the church to be servants of the church. And you will find that they will not be compatible with us if we remain true and faithful to Christ. Chapter 16. Romans, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at uh, Sincrea, a deaconess of the church of Sincrea near Corinth. See, she's a deacon. She's a woman. How could she be a woman? I thought women were not to exercise authority. The ministers of Christ were not to exercise authority. That you are the priests and kings. We're the servants. We're the public servants of the church. We don't rule over you. Where are the public servants that are servants? The public servants you have today, the priests you have today, the deacons you have today in the world... They rule over you because they exercise authority one over the other. 
You didn't realize that Jesus was talking about a government based on faith, hope, and charity and love? (laughs) You missed something. You better go knock on the head of your preachers and say, Hey, you guys haven't been telling us the truth. That ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. Now, you remember in this last chapter, he actually said, Amen. He said that he wants to come to them in peace and everything. So this chapter 16 is a good break because it's like an addendum. It's also like a letter of credence. He's saying, Phoebe's one of us. Accept her as one of us. But he doesn't just talk about her. That ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she has need of you. For she hath been a succorer of them and of myself also. In other words, what what are these words? This this one word uh, that we see business is pragma. And it's normally, you know, things and matters and work, that which is done, deeds and accomplishments. So she's been doing something, not just talking, believe in Jesus, but actually doing something. Just like he's doing something by carrying the substance of the people uh, up there in Macedonia back to Jerusalem. But also, you go on in this word succor, it says a woman set over others, a female guardian or protectress a patroness, caring for the affairs of others and aiding them with her resources. So this is very interesting that Phoebe is doing this. She's actually supporting the church. Why? So they can go around and talk? No, so they can go around and be health, education, and welfare for Christians who are cast out of the systems of the world that operated by force and not by faith. He says also, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who evidently also were in the tent-making business, and may have been in some of the 120 in the upper room. There's evidence to believe that. Who have, for my life, laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the church of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Uh, that's interesting. Salute my well-beloved Ephanetus, who is the first fruit of Achaia unto Christ, which is that uh, place that we talked about already. Uh, Christ at Rome. Uh, this, this man was a Christian at Rome who was greeted by Paul here in Romans uh, 16. Uh, chapter verse 5. He says, Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. So here's another relative, kinsman. Although there's some debate as to whether this was just a member of the tribe, but the, the majority of uh, consensus is that this Junia was actually uh, a relative. As my fellow prisoners, because these these two, Adronicus and Junia, we don't really know a lot about them, but there's a lot of speculation. But there is some evidence floating around that who these people were by going into the earlier texts and looking at them and then looking at complementary texts and people who talk about these. Uh, Dr. Frank Stagg uh, and Bella Sikian, uh, 
maintain that both uh, the context and the content of this verse requires that it be read naturally as Paul's uh, commendation to uh, Andronicus and Junius, not only as a remarkable Christian's workers, but as members of a larger group commonly called apostles, such as Silas, Timothy, and others. So, this is a this is a woman they're counting in this place. And Andronicus and Junia may have been brother and sister. They may have been also related, although he only seems to be referring to Junia as his kinsman. In chapter 5 of this book, uh, the Gospel Women Studies and Named Women of the Gospel of Professor Buchan, uh, developed a case for identifying Junia as Joanna, who we see as the wife of Chusa. And there is some evidence to that as well. But these people knew each other. They were in communication. Paul was not the only one writing letters. Uh, and these some of these people were traveling around. And they had to move sometimes large sums of money because the breakdown of the Roman Empire took place city by city sometimes. There was economic trouble over here, but these guys were still pretty well off. And you're going to see that in the world today, whether you're in Australia or Canada or the United States. You're going to find some areas that are are harder hit. I mean, I just heard about tornadoes and, of course, there's snowstorms and those things. But economically, some areas will be harder hit. And uh, there's a lot of other things that may take place, earthquakes and and floods and, like I say, storms. But economically, there's a lot of other things that are going on. So, anyway... Uh, and then there is the Philippians 4.22, All the saints uh, salute you chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. So, evidently, some of these Christians were actually of Caesar's household. And we already talked about Gladys, who we know as Claudia, who was actually the adopted daughter uh, of Claudius, uh, the emperor. And that's why she got the name Claudia. And these people all know each other. And this is this is major earth-shaking events, all legal in Rome, where they were people were moving from one social welfare system to the other, and that's going to take place in the world today, but it's going to take people that are of the spirit of Christ, not of the spirit of the Pharisees of controlling religious doctrines and regimentation. The doctrines of the church or what Christ said. Not everybody's different opinion as to what it meant. And so you're just going to have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling and figure out who's really talking the talk and walking the walk. He says, Greet Amplius, uh, my beloved in, in the Lord. Salute uh, Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, uh my beloved. Salute Apelles. He's talking about all these different people. Approved in Christ. So, approved in Christ, does that mean that he actually knew Christ? Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Another kinsman. Who is this Herodian? And this, there's a lot of, we won't go into all the detail. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute, and he's naming all these people. Who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved uh, Persis. A lot of these are Greek names, which is very common in the, those days. Uh, about 75% of the 
people of the catacombs, males, had Greek names. It's common for the men to get Greek names. And that's why that Junia may be Julia in other places. Uh, he also goes on to say, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. See, these are relatives. Rufus's mother was the same mother to Paul, because she had a second husband after her first husband died, and her second husband was a Roman. And Rufus was this Roman, which brings in, you know, eventually brings in Gladys, who was actually a Brit who we know as Claudia. And like I say, Paul is not the only one writing letters. These people are talking to their own people back in Britain, back in um, Rome and different parts of the Italy Peninsula, the friends that they had that were spread all over the world. Romans had a, a tremendous system of mail. I mean, you read some of the letters way back at the time of Christ, coming out of Great Britain, even uh, shortly after Christ. And the guy's writing back to whom to send his fishing tackle because the fishing is so good in Great Britain and and, he, and extra underwear <laughs> he's writing in a letter there was mail going back and forth every day ships going back and forth every day this is a very complex society very functional society and the Christians had a network of their own not just Paul writing, but they had to be because they were the entire social welfare. And as cities collapsed and were invaded and whole, when Jerusalem was invaded and all those Christians had to flee. And, and we've talked before how that took place, um, with this general Titus and, and pulling back, as you see in Josephus and everything, and letting people escape. They had to leave everything behind, all their money, their property, their clothes, everything except what they could walk out with. No packs, nothing. Everything had to stay back, not even coat or anything. They had a place to go. You're going to see that in America. You're going to need to know who to salute as workers in Christ. You need to start learning that now by starting to begin to cover the welfare of your congregations. You're not going to be able to do it all at once. People don't have the heart for it. But the more you do it, the closer you will come. This is what this is why the word Corban, sacrifice, also meant to draw near. Because it is the nature of God to sacrifice. It's the nature of Christ to sacrifice. And as you hold back from that sacrifice for one another, you bar Christ from coming into your own heart. You need to repent of that. You need to turn around. You need to go the other way. Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark then, I I skipped verse 16, I should go back to that, this is always kind of a funny uh, point. Salute one another with a holy kiss. And I always tease the guys, okay, so do we kiss now? (laughs) No, no, not ready for that. But the church of Christ salute you. These people were becoming intimate by caring for one another. by, By taking care of the needs of one another. This is how societies were bound together. People, it lasts, and I've told stories before, you know, and I went back and visited the hometown that my mom came from, and I, I met uh, someone who was the son of someone who knew my grandfather, and he said, whatever my grandmother needed, he would provide. He, 
it was because his father said that my grandfather said and did this, he would, he says, as long as there is food on my shelves, there is food on her shelves. Because this passes from generation to generation. And the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. But you have been cut off from the ways of God for so long, you do not have those bonds. You will have your plagues. You will have your your breakdown of society. You already are seeing it. In which you can start to form those relationships of the kingdom of God. And you will not form them by abandoning your husbands and wives and your children. You have to start taking them in. How can you take care of the orphans of the world when you cannot even take care of your own children? This is a way of sacrifice in righteousness. There are taxes in the kingdom of heaven. You must tax yourself because there is no exercising authority. But as you freely give the free will offerings for the good and edification not for the sloth, but for the edification of your neighbor, the Spirit will begin to dwell in you, and your eyes will be opened, and the scales will be removed, and you will be circumcised of the heart. And this is what Paul's talking about to people who understand. But you don't understand, Paul, because you don't understand Christ, and you don't understand Christ because you don't understand the Old Testament. They have created an entire false doctrine of religion around both Old and New Testament, and you miss the simplicity of the whole thing, which is to be bound by love for one another in righteousness of God. Can you do that? Do you want to go there? Do you want to gather with other people that at least say they want to go there? And are you willing to carry their infirmities until they really start getting there? Well, join us. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom in a moment. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about Romans, and we're in the last chapter of Romans, and we're taking a look at the gospel in a way that other people, most people, most ministers never go, which is why Christianity is in the state that it's in today, why the world is in the state that it's in today, and uh, we need to change. Personally, we need to change, and If we don't change, then how can we say that we've repented? How can we say that we've turned around, that we are going the other way? When we see the way of Christ is so much different than what we have been taught in the past. So anyway, are we ready to greet one another with that holy kiss I talked about in the first half hour? He goes on to say, Now I beseech you, brethren, Mark them which cause division and offenses, division and offenses, contrary to the doctrines which ye have learned, and avoid them. Okay, how do they cause division? Gotta accept my ritual. Gotta accept my form. 
Got to be, you know, a vegetarian. Got to use this calendar. Got to use all those things. Now, I don't have anything against calendars. I always say people who need calendars and clocks are people who don't know what time it is. You need to be led by the Spirit. And allow other people the opportunity to be led by the Spirit. Do not cause divisions amongst yourselves with words and rituals. Seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And then the second part of that statement, offenses contrary. How do you know what those offenses contrary are? Well, you know, adultery, murder, uh, covetousness, selfishness, bearing false witness. Most lies are based on what you don't say. That you, oh, I didn't want to mention that. You know, kind of thing. You didn't tell me? You you don't even mention it yourself. You have a habit of lying to yourself. This is how they get you. This is how they seduce you into the doctrines of the world instead of the doctrines of Christ, which are so simple. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I'm so hard on the pastors. It's because I love them. Because I want them to repent. Because I want them to turn around. I want them to see the Lord Jesus Christ and His doctrines of loving one another, not forcing one another to contribute to my welfare, because that would be a snare. Which they say over and over and over and over again in Old and New Testament, and you guys missed it. How did you miss it? Scales of pride. But their own belly, and by good works and fair speech, Deceive the hearts of the simple. How long will you be simple? Verse 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. Obedience? Obedience to what? The law is done away with. Obedience to what? I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good. And simple concerning evil. So what is that? What is simple concerning evil? Ten commandments are simple. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't ask somebody else to steal for you. Don't don't bludgeon your neighbor if he's not doing things the way you want him to do it. Bludgeon him with your judgment. Bludgeon him with your your public servants. Bludgeon him with anything. Don't be a part of that. Seek righteousness. Start hearing the hue and cry against injustice in every aspect of your life. If we go back to chapter 6, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant you are, to whom ye obey, whether the sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So you are servants today. You are human resources today. And you are not servants of righteousness, but unrighteousness, because you choose to exercise authority one over the other, and you hire servants and become their servants, just like it says in Proverbs, Proverbs you would, just like Christ said you would. And Paul is saying you will. Because you are not the servants of righteousness. 
and therefore your obedience unto righteousness. What? Where is that? If you if you go to chapter one, verse five of Romans, by whom we have received grace and the apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. Obedience, obedience to what? The law is done away with. No. Not the law of righteousness is not done away with. You need to be seeking that righteousness in all aspects of your life. Not only with your wife and your children. Why are you turning your children over to others to educate when you know those others don't believe in the ways of Christ? Why aren't you homeschooling? Oh, economically it's difficult? Why not come together with a congregation and find out if you can work together to make that real? And the God of peace shall bruise Satan unto your feet shortly. That was Paul talking to the Romans. But I will say that to you. Bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And then all hell will break loose. <laughs> because it's coming. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Another amen. That shouldn't make another chapter break here. This should be chapter 17. He goes on, except for it's very short. Tim, Timotheus, my work fellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsman, another kinsman, salute you. Teratius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. Erastus, what does he mean, chamberlain? The chamberlain, or rather the public treasurer of Corinth. Why? Because he went to Corinth and he said, Hey, you guys, you should be operating by faith, hope, and charity and not compelling the offerings of the people. That would be the social welfare of a free people. I know all kinds of guys who want to be free, but who wants to be righteous in their freedom and care for the true needy of their society? I always remember as a guy who was patriot guy driving without a license because he wouldn't take any of their ID and all this kind of stuff. And, and he was getting away with it. He had some resources. Uh, but he he got put in jail. It was kind of a funny story because... He drove by the cop out in the country, and uh, the cop saw it was him driving without, you know, plates and all this kind of other stuff. So, I mean, he's going to stop this guy. And I don't advocate guys doing that, but guys do that because they're, they're trying to become free again. And they think that they follow these different gurus in the patriot movement, and they're not really bad guys, but they... They don't understand how the law works, but they, they're they testing it, and they're putting their lives on the line to test it. And I have to commend their courage. But anyway, he saw the cop, and he waved to the cop as he went by, and the cop saw him. He said, well, I'm going to stop that guy. And so the cop went to turn around, and the cop was slippery road, and he he went off into the ditch and got stuck. So here's the, the, the Freeman guy, uh, or whatever you want to call him. He didn't call himself a Freeman, but... This, he stops his car and backs up to come back and help the cop. He's worried about him. He cared about him. And the cop 
he helped the cop get out, and the cop called for help and all this stuff to get him out of the ditch and everything. And then the cop arrests him and impounds his car and takes him to jail. And they almost immediately release him from jail. And he gets out, of course, late at night, 10 o'clock or so. He was on his way to a meeting with other guys who were trying all this stuff out, testing the legal system. And uh, he he walks, has to walk from the jailhouse over to these other guys. And he gets there, and he tells them, you know, like, uh, they got my car, I can't get out, I want to get back to my home, which is way out of town. Will any of you give me a ride? And it's starting to snow, the roads are going to be even slippier, but they could get there and back, but, I mean, he isn't going to walk there. None of these free men, patriots, would give him a ride back home to his wife and kids. None of them. They, none of them offered to give him a ride. So, he wanted to get back to his family. He actually had enough resources that he hired a taxi cab driver to drive him all the way out. <laughs> that was a considerable amount of money. But the Patriots wouldn't even... They should have taken him for free. He would have paid them if they would have taken him, but they wouldn't do it. Oh, no, they're free men. And that's... If that's the kind of guys you want to associate with, Paul's telling you just before that, don't be, they're not righteous. They're not interested in taking back their responsibilities as a society that loves one another and cares for one another like Christ said. They just want to be free. Bye-bye. Go be free. Those of you who know my sheep story on that. Bye-bye. God go with you, because I'm not. <laughs> So anyway, you you need to start associating with the righteous and those who are seeking. And they won't be righteous. I don't care who you gather with. They will not be righteous. But they have to be seeking that and going after that and trying to find that way of righteousness. So anyway, he's talking about Timotheus' work fellow and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater and, and all these different people and Erastus, this chamberlain, who is the treasurer of Corinth. Which the whole government's were, and you have people in your own government that want to go this other way and, and say, no, we should go back to that, you know, faith, hope and charity kind of thing. They don't always use those terms, but they, they talk about you know, your social welfare systems being a blight as well as your your red heifer sacrifice, which is your your foreign aid. And it's destroying your nation and the debt system that you created, the unjust weights and measures, etc., etc. It's you you've gone so far, I mean it's it's hopeless except through Christ. Hopeless except through Christ and the way that Christ came to teach you and the doctrines of Christ of loving one another, which were really the doctrines of Moses. How many how many Israelites stayed in uh, Egypt? We know that many of them that came out wanted to go back to Egypt. It's easy to get men out of Egypt, but it's hard to get Egypt out of the men because it's a spiritual change. It's a spiritual change. It's a real sacrifice of your own ego and your vanities, etc., and I want to be able to say someday, salute this, my brother, here, in whatever state. I won't mention any states, because I know so many in so many different states. Everybody will think I'm talking about them. <laughs> I might be. might not be. 
But Christ knows who you are. I'm still trying to find out. And he says, he saluteth you. And Cortus, a brother. He is, uh, he's mentioned uh, as part of the 70, uh, disciples. And said to be the bishop of, uh, Berithus. But anyway, in the epilogue, which we need to get to before the end of this show, so that we can put a period on this whole deal, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Another amen. Now, to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, my good news, and Jesus Christ. They're not separate. They're not different. According to the revelation of the mystery, which shouldn't be a mystery to you by now, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God, which are not done away with, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. That darn word obedience is there again. We actually have to do something? I thought we could just be saved and go about our own business. No, you can't be. You have to repent. You have to forgive. You have to turn around. You cannot make debtors of your neighbors or your neighbor's children or their grandchildren. You have to start becoming righteous in your ways and seeking that righteousness in every way as a matter of policy or polity, which I do not see in the polities of most of the churches. I won't say all. Most of the churches. I haven't found the one that it isn't. To God only, wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Written to the Romans from Corinthus and sent by Phoebe, servant of the church of Centria. There you go. We've done Romans. And actually we're going to start and go into an epilogue of this whole thing that will be concerning love and society and community. And just to give you a little uh, prelude to this, which we will put all together in a series someday. Uh, society, as defined in Bovier's, John Bovier's uh, Law Dictionary of 1874, which is kind of a standard in early America when the churches were still the social welfare of the people. A society is a number of persons united together by mutual consent in order to deliberate, determine, and act jointly for some common purpose. Okay, there's lots of societies. Because sometimes that mutual consent is contractual through a social compact. And sometimes it's daily. Walking daily in consent. You gather together with your congregation and they say, Oh, we got somebody over here needs help. We all want to give. And you say, I don't want to give to him. And this is why. And now all of a sudden two guys say... Well, is that really true? Well, I'm not going to give to them until I find out that that's true. And so you govern yourselves in your contributions to care for one another. Or you could be like the other societies where we just elect a guy and he tells us how much we have to give. And he says, oh, you have to give this much. And he exercises authority one over the other. Even though... That would be absolutely the opposite of the doctrines of Christ. You can do that. 
Because the doctrines of Christ said you are not to be like the princes of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other but call themselves benefactors. So there you have two different kinds of societies, both of them based on mutual consent in order to deliberate, determine, and act jointly for some common purpose, which is society, the common purpose of society. Is the common purpose of your society based on the common purpose of Christ, which is based on faith, hope, and charity? Or is the common purpose of your society based on Cain, which is the purpose of force and and compelling your neighbor to do it the way you want it done? Are you laying burdens upon one another with your rituals? And forgetting the righteousness of shedding everything for love of Christ and therefore of each other. This first definition of the word society talks about being united in common purpose by consent. That consent may be ongoing in which each individual must daily decide to participate in that common purpose. There you go. I just read out of my notes right there, which is actually, I think, taking from the book Thy Kingdom Comes. No, actually, I think it's from the book the Higher Liberty, which is all free online. You don't have to buy anything. You can just read them. But it won't do you any good unless you repent and turn around and seek the kingdom of God. There was another definition of society. An association or company of persons generally not incorporated, united together for any mutual common purpose. Now, that's... Uh, Black's Dictionary, but it's Henry Campbell, a dictionary uh, of law in 1891. Not incorporated. Why do you have a social compact? To incorporate. To create a board or an individual who will now rule over you. That's what corporations are about. Chains of commands. Not mutual community. Community, there's a definition. Community is a social, religious, occupational, or other group sharing common characteristics or interests and perceived or perceiving itself as distinct in some respects with the larger society within which it exists. You see, Christ's kingdom was a society and community within a society, but not of a society of Caesar. And this is where the conflict came. Modern Christians are of the society of Caesar and pray to Caesar and depend upon Caesar for their welfare, even though they know Caesar is taking from their neighbor and their neighbor's children and grandchildren. I know I repeat myself, But you don't hear it anywhere else like this. So I have to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, so that you might repent and turn around and go the other way. And that's why we created the website. That's why we created the livingnetwork.org, I think it is. but you go to hisholychurch.org and you find the Living Network and you can join that. You need to form congregations of record, not just join an email group. You need to start connecting and being the benefactors who don't exercise authority. 
in a way that edifies the righteousness in your neighbor and in your fellow congregational members and in your neighboring congregational members by occasionally rebuking one another, as many as you love, but consistently, continuously contributing, casting your bread upon the waters. Not to me. You don't have to give to me. I mean, you give to whoever you want. You pick your local ministers. And then you watch what they do. And be the priests and kings of the kingdom. And make your ministers your public servant in righteousness. Creating a system of faith, hope, and charity through righteousness. So that you will actually be following in the ways of Christ. In the righteousness of Christ. And not following in the unrighteousness of Cain and Caesar and Lamech and Nimrod and all these other guys. Like Proverbs fifteen seventeen says, Better a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Your economies are stalled ox. Full of ruling hatred and control. And and you wonder why you're in such a mess. Anyway, we'll we'll be talking about all these things in the next show that we do, wherever that is. Actually, we have shows on other stations as well. But you just become a part of the network. Don't just listen to shows. I mean, Christianity isn't about talking. It's about walking. You gotta walk the walk. I'm talking the talk. After three, four hours of talking the talk, I start getting a little hoarse. <laughs> but, uh, you need to walk the walk. And how does this translate into your actual family lives? Husband and wife. Are you to exercise authority? We saw there, Phoebe. What woman was a deaconess? They said, well, how could she be a deaconess? Women, and there were actually several people there. They they tried to turn Junia into a male name because they wanted to do this. And, of course, this is one of the first things that people like Ambrose and Jerome wanted because, you know, they were, you know, I mean, like I say, now I give it away, but Ambrose was dragged out of a brothel to become the first bishop of Milan under the Church of Constantine. Didn't know anything about Christianity. He wasn't converted because he repented and received the Holy Spirit and the laying on of hands of the apostles and the descendants of the apostles, I mean, those that came after them. He just, he just became this instant Christian. You know, just add water. (laughs) That's what you, you know, if you baptize without repentance, now you know what you need to repent of. You're just adding water. That's an instant Christian. Not going to cut it. Till we meet again, may peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, 
Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.